Volume Two, Chapter Seventeenth of The Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott, Chapter Seventeenth. Well, well. At worst, tis neither theft nor coinage. Granting I knew all that you charged me with. What though the tomb hath borne a second birth, and given the wealth to one that knew not aunt? Yet fair exchange was never robbery far less pure bounty. Old Play The antiquary, in order to avail himself of the permission given him to question the accused party, chose rather to go to the apartment in which Ochiltree was detained than to make the examination appear formal by bringing him again to the magistrate's office. He found the old man seated by a window which looked out on the sea, and as he gazed on that prospect, large tears found their way, as if unconsciously, to his eye, and from thence trickled down his cheeks and white beard. His features were, nevertheless, calm and composed, and his whole posture and mien indicated patience and resignation. Oldbuck had approached him without being observed, and roused him out of his musing by saying kindly, "'I am sorry, Eddie, to see you so much cast down about this matter.' The mendicant started, dried his eyes very hastily with the sleeve of his gown, and endeavouring to recover his usual tone of indifference and jocularity, answered, but with a voice more tremulous than usual, "'I might really judge, Monkbarns, it was you, or the like o' ye, was coming in to disturb me, for it's a great advantage of prisons and courts o' justice, that ye may greet your ain out o' ye like.' and neither the folk that's concerned about them will ever ask you what it's for. "'Well, Eddie,' replied old Buck, "'I hope your present cause of distress is not so bad, but it may be removed.' "'And I had hoped, Monkbarns,' answered the mendicant, in a tone of reproach, "'that she had kenned me better than to think that this bit trifling trouble of my ain would bring tears into my old ain, that I seen far different kind of distress.' Nay, nay, but here's been the poor lass, Caxon's daughter, seeking comfort, and has gotten unco little. There's been no spearings, had travels gone brig since the last gale, and folk report on the quay that a king's ship has struck on the reef of Rattray, and all hands lost. God forbid, for sure as ye live, Monkbarns, the poor lad level that ye like say will, must have perished. "'God forbid, indeed,' echoed the antiquary, turning pale. "'I would rather mock Barnes' house were on fire. "'My poor dear friend and coadjutor. "'I will down to the quay instantly.' "'I'm sure you'll learn nothing more than I told you, sir,' said Ochiltree, "'for the officer folk here were very civil, that is, for the like of them, "'and look it up high their letters and authorities, "'and could throw no light on either highway or another.' "'It can't be true. It shall not be true,' said the antiquary, "'and I won't believe it, if it were. "'Taffel's an excellent seaman, and Lovell, my poor Lovell, "'has all the qualities of a safe and pleasant companion by land or by sea. "'One Eddie, whom, from the ingenuousness of his disposition, "'I would choose, did I ever go a sea voyage, "'which I never do unless across the ferry.' Fragellum mecum solveri facellum. 
to be the companion of my risk, as one against whom the elements could nourish no vengeance. No, Eddie, it is not, it cannot be true. It is a fiction of the idle jade rumour, whom I wish hanged with her trumpet about her neck, that serves only with its screech-owl tones to fright honest folks out of their senses. Let me know how you got into this scrape of your own. Are you asking me as a magistrate, Monkmarns, or is it just for your own satisfaction? For my own satisfaction solely, replied the antiquary. Put up your pocket-book, and your kiddy-vine pen, then, for I don't speak hadin high-writing materials in your hands. There's a scour to unlearned folk like me. Hoid. I know the clerks in the nice room will clink down in black and white as muckle as what hang a man before I kens what he's sayin. Monkmarns complied with the old man's humour, and put up his memorandum book. Eddie then went with great frankness through the part of the story already known to the reader, informing the antiquary of the scene which he had witnessed between Dr. Swivel and his patron in the ruins of St. Ruth, and frankly confessing that he could not resist the opportunity of decoying the adept once more to visit the tomb of Mysticott, with the purpose of taking a comic revenge upon him for his quackery. He had easily persuaded Steenie, who was a bold, thoughtless young fellow, to engage in the frolic along with him, and the jest had been inadvertently carried a great deal farther than was designed. Concerning the pocket-book, he explained that he had expressed his surprise and sorrow as soon as he found it had been inadvertently brought off, and that publicly, before all the inmates of the cottage, Steenie had undertaken to return it the next day, and had only been prevented by his untimely fate. The antiquary pondered a moment, and then said, "'Your account seems very probable, Eddie, and I believe it from what I know of the parties, but I think it likely that you know a great deal more than you have thought it proper to tell me about this matter of the treasure-trove. I suspect you have acted the part of the Lar Familiaris in Plautus, a sort of brownie, Eddie, to speak to your comprehension, who watched over hidden treasures.' I do bethink me you were the first person we met when Sir Arthur made his successful attack upon Mysticott's grave, and also that when the labourers began to flag, you, Eddie, were again the first to leap into the trench, and to make the discovery of the treasure. Now you must explain all this to me, unless you would have me use you as ill as Euclio does Staphila in the Alularia. Lord's sake, sir, replied the mendicant, what do I ken about your aulaularia? It's more like a dog's language than a man's. You knew, however, of the box of treasure being there, continued old Buck. Dear sir, answered Eddie, assuming a countenance of great simplicity, what likelihood is there that? Do you think sy poor old creatures me would a ken to sick a thing without getting some good out? And you what will I sought nine and gait nine, like Muckle Scotsman? What concern could I have with it? That's just what I want you to explain to me, said old Buck, for I am positive you knew it was there. Your honour is a positive man, Monkbarns, and for a positive man I must needs allow you are often in the right. You allow, then, Eddie, that my belief is well founded. 
and he nodded acquiescence. "'Then please to explain to me the whole affair from beginning to end,' said the antiquary. "'If it were a secret of mine, Monkbarns,' replied the beggar, "'you sinna ask twice, for I have aye said a hint your back, that for I the nonsense maggots that you was taken to your head, you are the most wise and discreet of all our country gentles. But I sign be open-hearted with you, and tell you that this is a friend's secret, and that they so draw me with wild horses, or saw me asunder, as they did the children of Ammon, sooner than I would speak a word more about the matter, excepting this, that there was nigh ill-intended, but muckle good, and that the purpose was to serve them that are worth twenty hundred of me. But there's nigh lie, trow, that makes it a sin to ken where their foes, siller is, if we didn't pit hand to it ourselves. Old Muck walked once or twice up and down the room in profound thought, endeavouring to find some plausible reason for transactions of a nature so mysterious. But his ingenuity was totally at fault. He then placed himself before the prisoner. This story of yours, friend Eddie, is an absolute enigma, and would require a second Oedipus to solve it. Who Oedipus was, I will tell you some other time if you remind me. However, whether it be owing to the wisdom, or to the maggots with which you compliment me, I am strongly disposed to believe that you have spoken the truth, the rather that you have not made any of those obtestations of the superior powers which I observe you and your comrades always make use of when you mean to deceive folks. Here Eddie could not suppress a smile. If, therefore, you will answer me one question, I will endeavour to procure your liberation. If you let me hear the question, said Eddie, with the caution of a canny Scotchman, I'll tell you whether I'll answer it or no. It is simply, said the antiquary, did Dousterswivel know anything about the concealment of the chest of bullion? He, the hill-fired loon, answered Eddie, with much frankness of manner. There would have been little spearings I'd had Dousterswivel kenned it was there. It would have been butter in the black dog's house. I thought as much, said old Buck. Well, Eddie, if I procure your freedom, you must keep your day, and appear to clear me of the bail-bond. For these, for these are not times for prudent men to incur forfeitures, unless you can point out another alum ari plenum quadrilibrum, another search, number one. Hi, said the beggar, shaking his head, hide out the bird flown that laid thy golden eggs, for I wouldn't kite her goose though that's the guide it stands in the story-book. But I'll keep my day, Monkbarns. He's no loss a penny by me, and troth I would fain be out again, now the weather's fine, and then I had the best chance I hear in the first news of my friends. Well, Eddie, as the bouncing and thumping beneath has somewhat ceased, I presume Bailey Littlejohn has dismissed his military preceptor, and has retired from the labours of Mars to those of Themis. I will have some conversation with him, but I cannot and will not believe any of those wretched news you were telling me. God send your honour may be right, said the mendicant, as old Buck left the room. The antiquary found the magistrate, exhausted with the fatigues of the drill, reposing in his gouty chair, humming the air, 
how merrily we live that soldiers be, and between each bar comforting himself with a spoonful of mock turtle soup. He ordered a similar refreshment for Oldbuck, who declined it, observing that, not being a military man, he did not feel inclined to break his habit of keeping regular hours for meals. Soldiers like you, Bailey, must snatch their food as they find means in time, but I am sorry to hear ill news of young Taffrel's brig. Ah, poor fellow, said the Bailey. He was a credit to the town, much distinguished on the first of June. But, said Oldbuck, I am shocked to hear you talk of him in the preterite tense. Troth, I fear there may be too much reason for it, Monkbarns. And yet, let us hope the best. The accident is said to have happened in the Ratray Reef of Rocks, about twenty miles to the northward, near Dinternallen Bay. I have sent to inquire about it, and your nephew run out himself, as if he had been flying to get the Gazette of a victory. Here Hector entered, exclaiming as he came in, I believe it's all a damned lie. I can't find the least authority for it, but general rumour. And pray, Mr. Hector, said his uncle, if it had been true, whose fault would it have been that Lovell was on board? Not mine, I am sure, answered Hector. It would have been only my misfortune. Indeed, said his uncle, I should not have thought of that. Why, sir, with all your inclination to find me in the wrong, replied the young soldier, I suppose you alone, my intention was not to blame in this case. I did my best to hit Lovell, and if I had been successful, tis clear my scrape would have been his, and his scrape would have been mine. And whom or what do you intend to hit now, that you are lugging with you that leathern magazine there, marked gunpowder? I must be prepared for Lord Glenallan's moors on the twelfth, sir, said M'Intyre. Ah, Hector, thy great chaise, as the French call it, would take place best. Omni cum proteus pecus agitaret, visera montes. Could you meet but with a martial phoca, instead of an unwarlike heathbird? The devil take the seal, sir, or phoca, if you choose to call it so. It's rather hard one can never hear the end of a little piece of folly like that. Well, well, said Oldbuck, I am glad you have the grace to be ashamed of it. As I detest the whole race of Nimrods, I wish them all as well matched. Nay, never start off at a jest, man. I have done with the phoca, though I dare say the bailey could tell us the value of sealskins just now. They are up, said the magistrate. They are well up. The fishing has been unsuccessful lately. We can bear witness to that, said the tormenting antiquary, who was delighted with the hank this incident had given him over the young sportsman. One word more, Hector, and we'll hang a sealskin on thy recreant limbs. Aha, my boy, come, never mind it, I must go to business. Bailey, a word with you. You must take bail, moderate bail, you understand, for old Ogletree's appearance. You don't consider what you ask, said the Bailey. The offence is assault and robbery. Hush, not a word about it, said the antiquary. I gave you a hint before. I will possess you more fully hereafter. I promise you there is a secret. But, Mr. Oldbuck, if the state is concerned, I— Who do the whole drudgery business here? 
really have a title to be consulted, and until I am— Hush, hush, said the antiquary, winking and putting his finger to his nose, you shall have the full credit, the entire management, whenever matters are ripe. But this is an obstinate old fellow, who will not hear of two people being as yet led into his mystery, and he has not fully acquainted me with the clue to Dousterswivel's devices. Ah, so he must tip that fellow the alien act, I suppose. To say truth, I wish you would. Say no more, said the magistrate. It shall forthwith be done. He shall be removed, tanquam, suspect. I think that's one of your own phrases, Monkbarns. It is classical, Bailey. You improve. Why, public business has of late pressed upon me so much that I have been obliged to take my foreman into partnership. I have had two several correspondences with the Under-Secretary of State, one on the proposed tax on Riga hempseed, and the other on putting down political societies. So you might as well communicate to me as much as you know of this old fellow's discovery of a plot against the State. I will, instantly, when I am master of it replied old buck i hate the trouble of managing such matters myself remember however i did not say decidedly a plot against the state i only say i hope to discover by this man's means a foul plot if it be a plot at all there must be treason in it or a sedition at least said the bailey will you bail him for four hundred mercs four hundred mercs of an old blue gown think on the act seventeen o one regulating bail bonds strike off a cipher from the sum i am content to bail him for forty mercs well mr oldbuck everybody in fairport is always willing to oblige you and besides i know that you are a prudent man and one that would be as unwilling to lose forty as for a hundred mercs so i will accept your bail meo periculo what say you to that law phrase again I had it from a learned counsel. I will vouch it, my lord, he said, meo periculo. And I will vouch for Eddie Ogletree, meo periculo, in like manner, said old Buck. So let your clerk draw out the bail bond, and I will sign it. When this ceremony had been performed, the antiquary communicated to Eddie the joyful tidings that he was once more at liberty, and directed him to make the best of his way to Monkbarn's house, to which he himself returned with his nephew, after having perfected their good work. End chapter 17th